Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Arrives to work every day in a Brinks truck. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast presented by Sirius XM. My name is Dan Hansis. I'm joined in a room that's filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, mm. and Greg Rosenthal. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. Mm. Very impressed by the range of fashion choices in the room today. Uh Dan wearing a Dan sort of shirt. Mm-hmm. Me wearing a shirt Hold that up. I've watched. I've done on the show probably 500 times. Greg and Nate, very fabulous looking. Yeah, let's, fo- let's focus on the fancy boys. Wes has the Lakeisha makeover. I had fashion before I met my wife. Okay. Hold you on. You look different now. You look different now. <laughs> Not right. only did I buy this jacket myself, I bought it. One of our podcast listeners got it for me in Minneapolis. I don't even know if that's legal. And, and Greg... Seersucker now. now it's, yeah, seersucker. And there's a reason why. Because uh, Wes and Greg went on the Rich Eisen show. Rich was kind enough to have you guys on. And Mark and I will be joining Rich before kickoff in a couple weeks uh, to do an appearance as well. And it, it sounds like it went really well, Greg. Uh, but you making a bold decision to wear <laughs> seersucker on national television. Let's dig into that a little bit. Well, how bold is it? I thought that I would be disrespecting my father-in-law who got me this jacket when, when I was visiting my family uh, in Tokyo over the summer. If I didn't break it out on the Rich Eisen show, what better place to, to use it for the first time? Well, it's the first thing I noticed when I got to the office today, when I got to the newsroom. And guess what? I wasn't the only one who noticed. And in case you're wondering, uh, oh, Greg no. is in fact wearing uh, a seersucker <laughs> sport coat. Uh, here oh, I noticed. Program. I mean, if I'm, if I just I'm said the same thing. Now it's my father reusing material. Okay. If he's gonna buy me, a I don't want to listen to this. Is what terrible. better place to wear it first than the? How do you guys re-listen to our podcast, by the way, and just listen to the sound of your own voice? I hate just, it. I rarely do. I've never gotten over that. I, I don't. Fine. <laughs> I like your voice. I can't deal with it. Um. Sorry. So it's, good job. Good I job mean, with the sucker, though, Greg. My one question with the Rich Eisen setup. You two going now or is it or do you think internally does, does that program view you guys as an appetizer Dan and I being the main course we go down we're, you know we're gonna well, they left us 
the choice of however we want it. People don't need to know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do believe I believe that's the case. But do notice, right? You guys are appearing on kickoff on the day the NFL season starts. That's that's a more high profile day. I mean, today they were having anyone, and Daniel Jeremiah was on the show too. Today. <laughs> Whoa! So, so it's just, it's and like, it, they're just collecting people off the street. Fabs into the studio. <laughs> um, anyway, so Greg, keep an eye on Greg's fashion choices as this season goes on. You'll see Greg occasionally on NFL Network, perhaps different digital shows that we have. Um, Greg's fashion getting more and more quirkier as he gets older, and I mean that as a compliment. You're 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 looking to get outside the box, and it's very clear to me. Well, the only way to do fashion is to make it your own, right? Mm. That's what he's doing. Yeah. I, have this, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not even like that was a good, good analysis. I, 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 I know that West cannot stand the concept that he would not have reached this same place fashion wise without Lakeisha. But I do wonder where you would be from a clothes horse perspective. If she had not come into your life. I, that is misrepresenting what I've said about the case. Her influence has been tremendous, but usually when you guys pick out an outfit, it's something that I chose mm. or I... I did love Mark's reaction there. Wes, like, threw out a Wesian philosophy on fashion. And it's like, that's how we're here now. We're at the point now in society where Wes has philosophy on fashion. Mm. Well, I never I, saw that coming. I'm not Wes. even exaggerating. There's been when, a lot of changes. <laughs> you're right, Wes. You have to... Is it, is it what you like? But the second thing I think about is, what is Dan going to say? <laughs> <laughs> Not even joking. On the podcast or in the office, like that's who I'm thinking I am about the reaction. That's true. Okay, a lot to get to today, all right, because we are now inside three weeks uh, before the start of the regular season, uh, so we're really starting to ramp it up. Um, and coming up on today's show, we will have our takeaways on Friday's show. We talked about some takeaways from the Thursday preseason games. We'll share some more from the rest of the games that were played on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There's even one more today. I know everybody will be tuned in to that. Um, and, and also we have, oh, yeah, Charlie Casserly. The great Chaz Casserly is going to join us uh, to talk a bunch of things, including the Dallas Cowboys and their contract situations, his take on what we've seen from the rookie quarterbacks and also – uh, Wes, like you, he has some real concerns about the pass interference rule. Mm. So that's I think um, every announcer in the NFL is concerned about the pass interference. Concerned and confused. <laughs> All right, Ricky, let's do it. What we're hearing, presented by Sirius XM. Let's do some news. Let, what the Eagles did to Foles was the worst thing the Eagles could have ever done to anybody. I don't know. Nick Foles is going to come and hunt the Eagles later <laughs> during during the future. Now put me in that pocket. And if I pocket, please. Who was that, Chris Wesson? <laughs> that was the man running the food truck at a concert that Keisha and I went to over the weekend. Mm. He recognized me. He said, do I know you from somewhere? And I asked him if he was an NFL fan. And he, we got around to he listens to the podcast. So I asked him to give me his thoughts on the Eagles. And that's what we got. The take is that Nick Foles will punish the Eagles for generations to come. He thinks the Eagles did Nick Foles wrong by not keeping him as the number one quarterback. Mm, I disagree, but, you know, that's fine. Well, that's what's you, fun about football. Well, as you can see, he's very <laughs> passionate about yes. that. Um, all right, let's get to the news. Oh, boy. You know, we thought that perhaps the worst was over um, for the Oakland Raiders and this drama with Antonio Brown by the end of last week. He was – back at the Raiders facility and we were hearing positive reports about the frostbitten feet and there seemed to be perhaps some movement in the 
positive direction on the helmet issue, which has been vexing for uh, Raiders brass. Um, but guess what? Antonio Brown disappeared again heading into this weekend. He did, I, I should say, he did reappear on Monday, and we can get to that Monday today. Uh, but over the weekend, he was gone again, and Mike Mayock, the GM of the Raiders, who I imagine has been biting his tongue this entire time, decided he needed to make some type of move. He needed to make some type of statement. He needed to start taking control of this situation, which had to be a tough decision because it's a volatile situation. Here's what Mike Mayock said to a small group of reporters uh, yesterday, Sunday. Uh, you all know that A.B. is not here today, right? So here's the bottom line. He's upset about the helmet issue. Uh, we have supported that. We appreciate that. Okay, but we've, at this point, we've pretty much exhausted all avenues of relief. So from our perspective, it's time for him to be all in, we're all out. Okay, so we're hoping he's back soon. We got 89 guys busting their tails. We are really excited about where this franchise is going, and we hope AB is going to be a big part of it starting week one against Denver. End of story. No question. Greg. Hmm. I enjoyed that. I thought it was Mike Mayock, as you said, just someone's got to let Antonio Brown know um, what's what. And the clearest way to do that is through social media. I think that's what Antonio Brown responded to. So I just thought it was, and I'm not the first person to make this point, that it was telling the Raiders put that out on their Twitter account immediately. Like they, he made that statement, and then they made sure that everyone possible could see it, including Antonio Brown, who has been going a little wild on his social media the last uh, few days and over the weekend. And Antonio Brown returned to work Monday. Uh, maybe the story's over. <laughs> well, training camp isn't just to get your body in shape for the season. It's to instill what Mayock was talking about, all in. It's it's all these guys getting together and being all in as a team, and it's hard to do that when you have 89 guys in one place and one guy in the other place. And I thought the tenor of the coach and GM so far has been they've tried to support Antonio Brown verbally and, and you know on hard knocks the best they can, but behind the scenes it has to just be ripping Mayock apart, and it's embarrassing. And the sit- It feels like you have to take control of this situation somehow, and that his comments were extremely strong. I, I thought it was telling last week, John Gruden, and we talked about this, that he, he went out of his way not to be involved, not to say anything inflammatory, to try to keep this thing as under control as he could possibly do. And I think what happened with Mayock here is they reached the point as an organization where they had to kind of, I don't know if roll the dice is the right word, but had to put that out there knowing full well it could create a volcanic situation because Brown is so temperamental and so, um, un, you know, he's, it's hard to figure out where he's coming from next. But they had to do it because this, this has become, Greg, ridiculous. That's, that's it. I mean, and the Raiders are trying to get together for a season that's starting in a couple of weeks, and their best player is still pulling this helmet stuff, and it is selfish, and it's the reason why the Steelers are lucky to have him gone. I'm sorry. Well, I think all the information that Mike Silver put out on his Twitter account two weeks ago really informs the Mayak statement because if it was just the helmet and everything else had been hunky-dory over the last couple of weeks, that's one thing. Right. The helmet issue is just bizarre. 
I mean, they he had literally used the exact. It wasn't just like the type of helmet. Rich Eisen went through um, the entire scenario on his show to start out today, and he had talked to someone at the league office. It was literally he's played with one helmet the whole time, like the exact same helmet. It hadn't been made in over ten years, like not even produced. And they went in and they tested that one helmet, and you know didn't, it failed. Didn't pass. It the, didn't pass the test. And they don't make that helmet anymore, so they're trying to like find one that's similar-ish or what. But it's it's just kind of a it's kind of a crazy hill to die on. Some of you know, <laughs> I, Eisen had strong comments too, and so have others on the transformation of this player's personality. And we, we don't know enough to to really comment. But that when he came into the league uh, with a good sort of chip on his shoulder because he did not feel he was drafted as high and should have been and got the recognition that he was the hardest worker that he would. He would study relentlessly, that his practice habits were pristine, that he would hit the gym after players had gone home every night. That's completely different from a preparation angle than what we're getting right now, to your point, Wes, that he's not mentally engaged with the rest of his teammates. He's invested. like He's as invested as any wide receiver I've seen since Jerry Rice. He's maniacal about his work ethic and working hard and trying to find advantages. And I think when you're that invested it probably intensifies feelings a lot more than than other people. Like, I don't want to sound condescending, and it's really not where this is coming from. But part of my reaction to this was just like, is Antonio Brown okay? Is anyone thinking about that? Like, is is he all right? I think people are thinking about it, but I don't... You know what I mean? Like, it's just... Yeah, they, they, they don't know where he's coming from. It's just... I think a lot of people have had that feeling, and and For and they wonder that, yeah. especially from the outside, just because it does not seem like the behavior of a guy that has everything uh, in a good place mentally. But man, what a mess! <laughs> and remember, hard knocks Tuesday night on HBO. Uh, let's move on. Other wide receiver news: Wide receiver Josh Gordon is back with the New England Patriot, New England Patriots. The NFL uh, announced. Uh, that they are conditionally reinstating the veteran following his indefinite suspension. And Roger Goodell released a statement. Goodell and Gordon have formed a positive relationship over the years during... Uh, They spent like hundreds of hours together. (laughs) Gordon's (laughs) on-again, off-again issues with the league and substance abuse. Uh, But uh, Goodell said, we are rooting for Josh to succeed both personally and professionally. This is a little bit of a a surprise, Wes, uh, that Gordon was able to get cleared as quickly as he did. Perhaps his relationship with Goodell plays a role in it. But we don't know what we're going to get from Josh Gordon. He's still 28. He made a big impact for them last year before disappearing um, uh, down the wormhole of substance abuse uh, suspension. Uh, How big is this for the Patriots? It's huge considering their wide receiver core and and all the questions they have there. And I think you ask the same question about Josh Gordon as you ask about the guy we just talked about, Antonio Brown. And for a different reason, you ask how long will it last? Is this just for a few weeks? Is it for the whole season? Last year we thought he was going to be there all season when he came back. And then late in the season that bomb drops on the Patriots, you don't have – a guy who was trending towards your biggest playmaker at wide receiver. I mean, it seems like they maybe they knew more than we did, but their preparation going into the year, to me, seemed like they had no idea if Gordon would be back, and they prepared around it. And, you know, now you look at, you get you have Julian Edelman, you have Josh Gordon, potentially. Jacoby Myers has become one of the stories of Patriots camps. They, they, all the drama and the hand-wringing over New England's wide receiver room is starting to look like it's not going to be that big of a deal. Right, you have potentially. Philip Dorsett, who I think is a nice role player as, as a three or a four, which is what he'll be. Now you have your first-round pick, Nikhil Harry. Uh, I think the receiver 
position is the last of Belichick's concern. This is a team that started Kembrell Tompkins and Aaron Dobson for 10 games <laughs> in a 12-4 and four season. Or started Jabbar Gaffney and Rochelle Caldwell in an AFC championship. Well, that got you. So this, <laughs> this <laughs> they, group. They had Gronk for a lot of all those years. They did, but they also have James White and like Kevin Falk had those years where it's like Kevin Falk was just around forever, but every – like four or five years, he would just catch 75 passes because they need him to. And to me, that's James White this year. And Sonny Michelle's reportedly looked pretty good. Catch. They got enough passes. I mean, assuming that Edelman is ready for week one, where are we at that? Is that still he, on? He's suited up for practice. Okay. He just returned for yeah. the first Ooh. time today. So it looks like he's trending that way. Who is? And Gordon, I, I'm, I'm Gordon not, may not be ready for week one, though. I'm not assuming that. By yeah, me. I'm not. I mean, yes, they have more depth than perhaps people realize, but I'm still not blown away by the group. I'm curious who's the odd man out because I've heard, um, you know, Hosanna's sung over Maurice Harris. Of course, Jacoby Myers, Dorsett, as we said, the rookie, Harry. Demarius Thomas, I assume, is, is in trouble now. He has not been activated, and my thought would be he'll be stashed on the PUP list and see if they need him midway through the season. And yeah, Maurice Harris might be more of a special teamer, but he he's he, hurt right now too. Could be on the bubble. Why would you leave like a 1700 yard wide receiver? On All the I bubble? said was he's going to have a nice Actually, but Belichick told us a, there is no bubble. There's no such a, what's a bubble? I think he makes the team. They keep six. What did you say? 550 six, yards was six, over under for six Maurice wide Harris? receivers. Well, that was pre Gordon, but uh. yeah, I, I'm standing by it. <laughs> Um, let's shoot down to Washington and talk about the Redskins, um, who have some quarterback decisions to make. Jay Gruden does Colt McCoy, who suffered that broken leg last year. Uh, it seemed like one of those injuries where, oh, he'll be fine the next year. Uh, but now it's a situation where McCoy might not be ready until two to three weeks into the season. Gruden conceded, um, uh, according to ESPN.com. And then you have the case of Dwayne, Haskins, the first-round rookie, versus the veteran Case Keenum. Keenum. Uh, ESPN's Adam Schefter reported that this is trending towards Keenum now, Mark Sessler, as the starter. Uh, does that make sense to you based on what we've seen so far from Haskins? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've seen g- good stuff from Haskins, and he, to me, I like his arm. He's also not looked completely comfortable. Um, and they that left tackle situation, like Adrian Peterson mentioned has I think toyed with all these quarterbacks but on Colt McCoy you know he he has the faith of of Gruden and I think he this was probably the closest shot he had to starting a week one game uh in many many years and maybe ever again and what's happened with when that when he first broke his leg they initially thought if I'm not mistaken that he could even come back last season and in play at the end of the year he tried to Tried to, and then it turns into this really rough situation with three additional surgeries, and he's even visiting Dr. Robert Anderson, who has no idea what's going on with the leg either. So this can end a career. It's been it. It's hard not to think about Trent Williams being upset at the medical staff in Washington when you hear that he's had to have three follow-up surgeries. Although Jay Gruden's kind of put it on Colt McCoy trying to get back. Too soon, you feel bad for him, but this is a mess. I mean, this is going as whatever they envision for their three-way battle, however they had it in their head, I think they're fairly close to a worst-case scenario, although Haskins looking, I think, solid is, you know, the one positive. He had, a, you know, a beautiful touchdown pass in his last preseason game, and I, I think that Gruden, this goes back to we're talking the hot-butt rankings on Friday, he has to walk a very fine line where Gruden has to – He's charged with developing Haskins and getting behind the rookie, which makes a lot of sense. He's a first-round pick. But he's also got to win games to have any chance to keep his job. So you can understand why Keenum might be a more appetizing choice at this time. Uh, so good luck to you, Jay Gruden. Moving on. 
the Philadelphia Eagles have added another quarterback to their room, and it is Josh McCown, who comes out of retirement. The 40-year-old who spent the last couple seasons with the Jets uh, joins uh, the Eagles, a team that's dealing with injuries behind Carson Wentz. Nate Sudfeld, he has a broken wrist to his non-throwing arm. Cody Kessler exited their second preseason game uh, and went into concussion protocol. Clayton Thorson was the only guy left to finish the last game. So now you bring uh, back Josh McCown. Um, Greg, I, as a Jets fan, I could tell you that there has been no shortage of thoughtful and uh, entertaining slash enlightening think pieces about what a great man and teammate Josh McCown is. But I will tell you, he got a decent amount of action in the last two years with the Jets. I don't know if he could play anymore. In fact, I don't think he could play really at all. Um, and I'm just I'm surprised that this was the move that the Eagles made. Well, when you have Cody Kessler as your backup for now, I think you just look at McCown as someone who would be great to help out Carson Wentz. So it, they said this in New York, too. He was practically just like an extra QB coach. Right. So I, I think that's the idea. I, it, you know, so he's the he's third got string a, guy. He's got a TV future, but I see him as a potential NFL Head coach down the road. Too. Well, he's I mean, the backup. About he's it. the backup for now until you know maybe when Sudfeld gets healthy. They like Sudfeld, right. but it's like when you have if Kessler's going to be your backup and he's got a concussion anyway. It's like, well, why you're not winning any game? You're, Kessler's going to be a problem anyways. So Kessler you, and Clayton Thorson are gone. That's my read on this situation. Mm-hmm. And you guys know I've been a McCown fan. He was cooked last year. He was done. He uh, was better in 2017 though. It went, last year was problematic, but he wasn't that bad. He couldn't in make the throws anymore. And I think Sudfeld should be back by the end of September. They really like Sudfeld, too. I think he'll be the number two, and maybe they keep Josh McCown just to play that, like, player-coach role or whatever. I mean, you know, not to keep going back to this well, but it's an RPO offense. Uh, Colin Kaepernick doesn't get a look with this team. Who does he get a look with? That's a good question. I thought about that, you know, because, you know, as vocally progressive an owner as there is in the NFL and as vocally progressive a team uh, locker room as there is. So you're right. If he – wouldn't get a sniff in this spot. It's not. It's probably not going to happen. Uh, let's move on. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers made a move uh, with Jason Light, their general manager. Uh, Mike Garofolo reported Saturday that the Bucks signed their GM to a five-year extension through 2023. Uh, this deal was actually worked out in January, uh, just after Tampa uh, named Bruce Arians their new head coach. So they wanted mm. to align the GM and the head coach. Uh, this one surprises me a little bit, Greg, because what exactly has Jason Light done to uh, well, deserves a strong word? So let's just say to get a new contract extension in Tampa. This is one of the biggest, most surprising news items of the entire month for me. I mean, it, it's probably a bad sign if you need to Saturday afternoon news dump your GM getting a contract. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like you're a. Fr- I honestly I think do that's know what you mean. Like I honestly think that was the strategy here was they didn't want it to get too much attention. It, it seems like they, the Not ownership, good. likes that light helped bring Arians in because of their past relationship. But what is the rush here? I, right. I get the aligning that that makes sense and that they. But let's find out a year in how well they work together. And Jason Light's record is twenty-seven and fifty-three with a couple. Concerning draft picks in there. You spent a second rounder on a kicker that is working at a fast food restaurant right now. And on top of it, like, I'm not totally sold on Jameis Winston on any level. Wh- which fast food restaurant, by the way? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll research that. I'm not sure which yeah, one. He's okay. been to a few. I always think their roster looks better than their record, but that record right. is pretty spotty. <laughs> I think he's gotten a lot of good 
media publicity for building a talented roster, which you you could argue for or against. Well, it never, so that's it that's never a vote. Has a quarterback, but I think secondary. that I affect. I think that affects ownership in some way. That's a vote for playing the media game. I, I do just a real news impact from this, though, is I think Jameis Winston has a much better chance of getting a long-term deal now just because Light's the one that drafted him. And if if he had a clean, solid year, which is a huge if, it basically almost never happens for the Bucks, but it, or Winston, but if that happened this year, I think they'll re-sign him. Uh, injury news. The Seahawks are counting on DK Metcalf to have an instant impact for them at wide receiver, the second-round pick, who had been getting raves from everyone inside the building about his progress uh, this summer. Well, that progress has been halted by a knee injury. He suffered it uh, in practice uh, last week, uh, late last week, and he'll be undergoing a surgery that's Pete Carroll intimated that it wasn't a major surgery. It was something that will kind of not keep him off the uh, off the field for too long, maybe a scope, who knows, uh, but the idea that he won't miss too much action. But, Mark, anytime a rookie wide receiver – gets taken out of the mix when he's trying to get those valuable reps and playing time. It's not a good thing, especially in Seattle where they really need Metcalf. They, I mean, they're a wide-out group. We, you know, we talk about New England's. I, I'd be equally concerned about Seattle's, and I know that they want to run the ball till, you know endlessly. But Jaron Brown, David Moore, I, I like David Moore, but who is your true game-changing wide-out here? I don't know that you hit Tyler Lockett's good, but... I don't. To me, when you look at the Seahawks, this is a perfect example why schedule analysis is mostly useless. It's when you play a team, and mm. just like last September, you want to play the Seahawks early in the year. Uh, really sad news out of Austin, Texas, over the weekend. Former NFL running back uh, Cedric Benson died in a motorcycle crash. He was 36 years old. Uh, Benson and a passenger. Uh, collided with a car at an intersection, and uh, Benson and the passenger uh, were pronounced dead at the scene. Benson came into the league as a high draft pick with the Chicago Bears. It never worked out in Chicago. In in fact, um, it was about as poor as it can go for a guy that was as high of a draft pick as Benson was. But he ended up bouncing around the league and uh, hanging around for – for a while, including a stop west with your Cincinnati Bengals, where he had a, a trio of 1,000-yard seasons. I remember him having a big playoff game against the Jets one year. So he had some moments, maybe didn't live up to uh, what was expected of him when he was drafted in the top five. But uh, Cedric uh, Benson had a lot of people that thought highly of him. Aaron Rodgers, to name one of them, who played briefly with Benson, um, said he used to sit with Benson uh, during training camp and during the season at a cafeteria table and talk about, you know, life, sports, anything. He was one of those guys you could um, really uh, talk about anything with. So really sad to hear that Cedric Benson has passed away at age 36. That sort of puts it in perspective, that anecdote about Aaron Rodgers, who during his career has seen old-school power backs like Cedric Benson become an endangered species hmm. just in the span of that 12 to 13 years. This guy would have no chance of going in the top 10 in the draft with his skill set now. Right. That was the same draft as Ronnie Williams and Cadillac. I mean, Ronnie Brown and Cadillac Williams 
all and Cedric Benson all went in the top five. That that draft Unbelievable. helped. I guess you could compare him to Leonard Fournette. So maybe I have to, I have to take that back. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that 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 draft changed how running backs were viewed. But Benson, I mean he had a he started five or six playoff games for the the Bengals and had three seasons straight over eleven hundred Super Bowl fifty yards. Like he had his moments. He was I One think of probably two players would, punched by Thomas Jones. <laughs> I think he would admit he had some problems with immaturity early in his career, but he was always kind of a, a person who thought deeply about things in interviews. Going back to college, he's probably more legendary for his high school, known as maybe one of the great Texas high school players of all times and one of the great Texas, Texas Longhorns uh, of all time. And, and everyone who talked about him always always said how thoughtful and smart he was. No, it's the football side of it, but then you know this is someone who's just lost the chance to probably be on the planet for another 50, 60 years and was renowned as having an incredibly engaging personality. And it would have been the post-career would be just as interesting as anything he ever did as a player. Uh, Cedric Benson, dead at the age of 36. Uh, That is what is happening in the news. All right, let's uh, check out the rest of the uh, takeaways from preseason week two, which, by the way, and there is always things to talk about, of course, uh, but uh, it is becoming more and more a farce, these games, in terms of the coaches that are all following the Sean McVay plan of resting not not a handful, uh, not 10, some, 20 of their regular players uh, because they just don't see the value in putting them out there for the risk. This is all coming to a head, I feel like, with the CBA. But anyway, that that is uh, a discussion for perhaps another time. Greg, how about some takeaways from the games on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? Hmm. Well, I, I guess I want to start cause with Wes's guy, Chase Winovich, who... Oh, man, I've got a whole paragraph on this guy. I just want to... You you go, because it, it feels less biased nice you know, setup, talking Greg. about a Patriots uh, player. Well, I sent some um, consternation from Mark and Dan about the state of preseason play. And if you're tired of watching Samaje Piran being unable to make anyone miss in the open field, if you're tired of watching Ryan Griffin's pop gun arm unleashing creepers all over the field, find, creepers. find your favorite relaxant and dial up game pass for Chase Winovich in the second and third quarter against the Titans. This guy is a terror screaming off the edge almost every single play. The Titans are trying to get a good look at their fancy new backup quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, and Winovich is single-handedly dismantling their offense. It's like watching Rambo. He's up in the trees. He's in the cave. He's down by the water. Like, How many Chase Winoviches are out there? And then I'm watching it. I'm like, I got to go back and watch the first, the opener. So I'm fast-forwarding through here, and I see the Lions – or I see the other team complete a pass. And I'm like, well, can't be Winovich. He's not on the field yet because they wouldn't be completing passes with this guy out there. It's like you, your defense <laughs> should get extra points you, for scoring when Winovich is on the field. You know, I, it's, hard, it's hard for me to really get excited about turning on a game that involves the Titans, but I did because of what you said, uh, Wes. And uh, I believe it was Tyler Mars, who was the right tackle, that just had no answers for Chase. He was, it, w- it was a grotesque uh, clown suit being put on the man. As Mark once said, he was fashioning a multicolored clown suit for this man <laughs> on every play. I go back to watch the first game. I finally find the Win- Winovich part. He's doing the same thing against well, the Lions. Can we cut through the preseason 
uh, malarkey? And is this guy really a player, or is it who he was playing against? And is he going to have a role in this defense? Where, where are we at with? Well, Chase here's Winovich. here's what we know. Your backup tackle has no prayer against this guy. We don't know what he can do against starting tackles because we haven't seen it yet. But he is in a different class than than anybody's backup it, tackle. It's a position they really could use someone to step up, and they've been talking up um, Derek Rivers a little bit, and and they picked up a guy from the Raiders, Shalik Calhoun, who's had a good camp. Uh, but I think he'll have a uh, absolutely have a role in this offense. They don't really have outside pass rushers. It's it's what they need more than anything. And their rookie class, not to be too much of a homer, but it's right now it's like they haven't had many good rookie classes lately. And between Jacoby Myers, who had to be taken off the field at one point during the joint practices with the Titans because they wanted Brady, they wanted to force Brady to throw to someone else because it's just Jacoby Myers every time, and he's been great in the pre- So between him, Juwan Williams has looked good at cornerback, and then Jared Stidham, they've had, they have a nice young crop, which they kind of needed. Winovich already has a trademark. This is my last comment on him. You can but talk about it all day. A lot of Patriots. If you're stops. passionate about it, keep talking, Wes. When, when he beats you over and over again, and I'm talking like five plays in a row, this guy <laughs> is shutting down your offense and beating your right tackle. Switch him over to left tackle, beats him. Here's the trademark. You just suplex him. You're tired of him being at your quarterback, so you take a tight end or a tackle, pick the guy up, suplex him, get called for a blatant holding penalty, and at least he's I mean, not sacking. He's your getting court. Rob Ninkovich comparisons from from what I've seen too, but he sounds more like Rob Ninkovich made out of like right. iron and gold. I, I don't buy that. Sounds lazy. Yeah, I don't buy that. Ninkovich at all. He's much more Winovich. of like a edge rusher type. Which Absolutely, Ninkovich was not. I thought I might be overreacting, so I went to Pro Football Focus and looked at his grade for this game. It's it's a in million. The, it's in the area where you only see Aaron Donald and JJ. Watt. Right, and he only huh. played half the game. I mean, there's it. It's really not exaggerating that it's one of the great preseason performances I've ever seen. <laughs> it is, but I don't know what is, that means. I no one's ever won the the vaunted preseason MVP award. I hand it out at the end of every preseason, but when it. Winovich has got it. It's the greatest wow. um, preseason game I've ever seen by a rookie <laughs> pass rusher. I get goosebumps thinking of the trophy ceremony. Zach Zenner handing it over to <laughs> oh, yeah. Winovich, the big trophy. Oh, yeah. That's, that's fair. Um, and Lakeisha Jackson-Wessling, if you're listening to this podcast, you know what to get West for Christmas. One of those authentic jerseys. Not the $75 <laughs> replicas. I mean the $200 job. I'm not going to be wearing a jersey. <laughs> All right, I'll throw one out there. And then, Greg, I'm going to come to you. But I want you to actually talk about something. Don't tee up West. Well, that, that was a was, double tee up. Why are we having go, double tee up? Well, it was just that was the most. To me, there it was kind of a blah preseason weekend. I was like building up to Wes. And, you know. and there was like, you know, <laughs> some quarterback talks. I know we're going to talk about Charlie Casterly with that later. But there wasn't much. I didn't have a ton else. But I do okay. have. I, I am ready. I'm okay. Ready. All right. You're on deck. No, I changed my mind. You're up. Okay. Wow, look at this. Well, let's talk Tony Pollard because I think that was a big takeaway from the weekend how I think he had about 50 scrimmage yards in that first drive that they're using the fourth-round pick for the Cowboys between the tackles. I think he's looked solid. He made a, a couple really nice plays. I think he had he's had some big holes. And I think it's just an interesting topic because the comment that Jerry Jones said about Zeke who, which apparently has annoyed Zeke Elliott. And his agent. Um <laughs> if you watch it in context, it really was he wasn't trying to offend him. And I don't think the cow the Cowboys know that this guy probably isn't really capable of carrying the load. He was the third running back in, in at his college behind Daryl including behind Daryl Henderson, uh the Rams rookie. And he only had I think 
you know, what was it, 70 carries last year. Like, he's never had more than that. And I don't know if he's really an Alvin Kamara type who, when he gets to the NFL, can actually increase his workload. So I think a little bit of this Pollard hype is a nice player to add to that offense. And I think they need it to ha- have uh, more weapons. But it'd be a huge, it's totally different if you're playing in the regular season, giving him 20 carries. Well, I, you know, Jerry is winning on the scoreboard versus Zeke pretty handily right now. And Pollard's a big reason why. But to me, you get excited if you're the Cowboys because Zeke will eventually be back. Right. And now you've got this hybrid player who's kind of half running back, half slot. And that's what's good in the NFL right now. Uh, I want to talk about Taysom Hill, who, Mm. you know, this is interesting. So he's been like a fun little gadget player for the Saints, and maybe that's just what he'll continue to be. Uh, But then you see things, and again, the preseason lies, as they all say. But then you see what he did against the Chargers. So he comes in at the half for Teddy Bridgewater, who looked terrible, but he was also sick. So we're gonna we're gonna give Teddy a pass on this. Uh, but then Hill goes off and he and he just lights up LA with his legs and with his arm. Comeback win, the whole thing. It does. It makes me think that with, where Taysom Hill is at a player as a player right now, which is obviously exciting and electrifying potentially. If Sean Payton the offensive genius that he is that there's not a bunch of stuff rattling around in his mind about what he could possibly do to to add to his offense moving forward and that and I'm wondering what that would mean in terms of uh Hill getting more snaps potentially and Drew Brees getting less as a result and how Brees that would sit with Brees if that's even a question if that's even something that Peyton would broach with Drew Brees but it just seems like Taysom Hill is somebody that could add just yet another level to this offense beyond what we've seen the last year or two I mean I think he for me and I I had the similar note Dan I had I wrote that Taysom Hill makes football fun I loved his performance he seems so comfortable out there he's versatile he's confident and it just makes me glad that he's on a team like the Saints with Sean Payton's mind versus him being couched on the Detroit Lions where we would essentially never see him again because certain teams just wouldn't know what to do with him. Mm. I, and I, you know, we got there last year to some degree with his role expanding and him being such an X factor. It's a great question. How do you, how do you get more of him on the field because he's that valuable, that interesting? Well, what? he's let it be known to the beat writers there and, and the announcers of the, of the Saints game. He... Sean Payton's compared him to Steve Young, that he might be our Steve Young. He keeps saying – he said that, and it's been a little, like, below the radar, but they've been talking about how this year, his third year, they haven't done any gadget plays at all in camp because they said, we can do that. We can practice those in the regular season. Camp is all about him as a quarterback, and they think he's really made strides as a real quarterback in this camp. I mean, anybody that knows football knows what happened with Steve Young and what happened with the guy he was playing behind. Went pretty well. Is that where this is headed? I mean, uh, listen, again, he's going against all third and fourth stringers and bouncers and UPS drivers. He's also 29 years old, which is under the radar. That is under the radar. Um, I didn't realize that. Sean, I think Sean Payton thinks he has a real chance to succeed Drew Brees, which is interesting. I think he's kind of letting that be known that he he thinks he's Steve Young was around 30 years old when he finally got a chance as well. Uh, Mark Sessler. Uh, I have one guy I want to mention quickly is – Cleveland's Mac Wilson, the linebacker, who over two games has been a playmaking machine. And it's not just in the games. All camp, all, 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 all these practices that have been going on, he has been raved about. And it's just, it's, I, you know, they needed someone to come in at linebacker and do what he's doing. So good start for him. And for all the issues with the preseason, 
and it is a tough product. And, there, and it, there's no reason for us, to, for anyone, we don't. We you just be totally honest about that it needs fixes. One thing that I saw that I would like to see more of in the preseason was having Andrew Siciliano get Sean McVay on the headset during a Rams defensive game, series. And, it, you know, it's such a covert coach culture, the coaches. And you don't really get to hear what they're doing during games very often, unless it's like Bill Parcells swearing at a ref or something. But it was incredible. It was a brief segment to hear McVeigh just break down what he was seeing. And he was so just informative and interesting. I want, like, hours of that. It needs to be, like, a television station that offers that the entire game. We're never going to get it because it's 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 – they're never going to allow it to happen, but I, it would it made football so much more interesting. I, I like that too. I did. I tweeted out last night that I couldn't figure out who Sean McVay sounded like, and then it the light bulb <laughs> went off, and it was it's freaking Bon Jovi. <laughs> and if you know what Bon Jovi sounds like when he talks, check it out if you're interested. You'll never th- you'll never hear Sean McVay the same way. Mm. It's exactly the same voice. There aren't many McVays though that would be that dynamic and. <laughs> no. compelling and be able to mentally to be able to speak that well and ment- I mean it was incredible to hear how quickly he mentally processes from that view everything that's happening and I think most I think most coaches probably could mentally process things that fast but they couldn't explain it verbally that he that loves w- doing it too just that like well, he loves reciting but we would we would learn a lot about coaches right. that we think we already have he, the book on. Here's the thing, though. McVay, I think one underrated thing about him, and I noticed Zach Taylor is absolutely in the same mold, and he was under McVay. McVay is incredibly transparent. Yeah. He has been since day one. He gives you injury information, and actually no one even makes a big deal of it. Like, he tells you who's playing. <laughs> he tells you who's playing in the preseason, who's not. Like, And I've noticed Zach Taylor's a little like this, too. He's just transparent because he's confident, and he, and he realizes so much of this stuff that coaches aren't transparent about doesn't matter, and I, I love that. Here's my number one takeaway from that whole exercise. Who in the entire football world is capable of criticizing Sean McVay? You watch that, and you think any analyst – on TV, <laughs> anyone writing, anybody on Twitter, you think you're going to criticize Sean McVay? Mm. Luckily, no one has. He got a little bit of it after the Super Bowl. He laid an egg <laughs> in the Super Bowl. But people, we don't yeah, like people, talk about that. People criticize you know, like People hid from that a little bit. No, I don't think they did. Because it's been all, you know, bouquets, uh, sunshine and bouquets. Well, that that game, though, like I, so. I, for me, the Rams were a little annoying to me because they got good so quickly and suddenly everyone was in love. I think they're much more intriguing now because <laughs> they have to show – they. It, this is when you have to do the job of a coach. And McVay, I think, has shown from a personnel and from a, like an organizational standpoint how strong of a leader he is. Mm. Uh, one more real quick one, and then we got to go. We're running a little late today. Well, we maybe we'll hit on it with Charlie, but I'll give my two cents on Daniel Jones, which is that if I was a Giants fan, I would love what I see. Because, yeah, I know he's going against a second-team offense. It's not, they're not game-playing, all, all this stuff. But he's doing things like changing the plays, changing the tempo, which they did. And young quarterbacks aren't necessarily that great at that. Rookie quarterbacks where they go from slow to fast and then back to slow and then to fast. And he's doing that. He's going to his third read. And it's those things you see – you don't normally see from a rookie quarterback. He just seems very together in, in two performance. Had two turnovers too, so I'm not. It's not like it was a perfect, uh, you know, game for him by any means. But man, if I was a Giants fan, I'd be excited. Uh, real quick, I'm kind of in the same boat as you guys that I think the Bills could surprise people this year, especially if Josh Allen develops and he looked good 
against the Panthers and keep an eye out on Cole Beasley. PPR leagues. You forget about that guy. Uh, but they, they have uh, they've been targeted. He's been targeted six times in the two preseason games, six catches for about 70 yards. That could be a nice combo. Mm. Uh, I, I'm treating this like the preseason in my own farm team, and I'm trying to get Jim Miller a job. <laughs> the game analyst for the Chicago Bears, he's also on Sirius XM NFL Radio, former um, Bears and Steelers quarterback. This guy is fantastic. Pleasant yeah. voice, well-informed. He's got a genial personality. He knows the quarterback position inside and out. He is better. Like He's like tuning into a game at like Lambeau Field or Mile High. The ambiance is just better when Jim Miller is involved. He's better than all but three or four guys nationally. I'll stand Great for our, Love that. Brian Baldinger. We, obviously, anyone that loves football, if you're watching his tape work and his breakdowns, they're awesome. They're they're brief enough where you can catch a few of them like the day after the games. And I thought that he appropriately shredded uh, what he saw from the Detroit Lions in their last outing. And, and, he go, and you can just go – I'll let you go watch it. But he sort of goes case by case on four or five players that look completely – like they are out to lunch, and there are players on the ground, wide receivers getting hit in the back of the head because they don't even know the ball's coming their way. And I realize it's the preseason, but they've got Josh Johnson in there running bizarre college scheme stuff that will never be used again with Matthew Stafford. And I just enjoyed his rant. He just I, I have questions about the Lions. I've had for a long time, where is your identity? What is your identity? And he just went into him, and I kind of liked it. It, that's part of where like you're sitting all your starters in the preseason, and this is what happens sometimes. You lose your your pretty weak backup quarterback, Tom Savage. You sign Josh Johnson. You refuse to play Matthew Stafford. So you play, they played Josh Johnson three days after he signed in a preseason game. It made him play like most of the game. It's like kind of like his Redskins last and year. And you're charging full price for those games. Give me a break. At least they 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 could block somebody in that game. Nine sacks in the first game against the Patriots. They did pass protect better. Well, yeah, they, give them that. Good positive note. The Lions are just wasting everyone's time with this preseason. But that's true of several teams. All right. Good job, guys. Good analysis. Real pros, pros. Let's move on. All right. It's time to welcome a very special guest. Last time he was on the show, he was in the studio. This time we have to settle for the phone. But we're very excited to have him. He is a former general manager. He's got he's got three Super Bowl rings. You kidding me? Three Super Bowl rings. Well, we got one. It's uh, we put that one in the back closet because we lost that one. But we got three winners and one. Two <laughs> there you go. There you go. And now you know the voice. Now he works for NFL Network as a analyst. Charlie Castle, welcome back to the Around the NFL podcast. Hey, it's an honor to be with you guys. Excited about it. Yes. Country. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Charlie. Um, it's great to have you on because you're on fire. You got a lot of things you want to talk about and. And, and we want to talk about them with you. So we we want to get right to it and talk a little bit about the Dallas Cowboys, uh, a topic that obviously will always have a lot of intrigue here, uh, the America's team angle and all that. And they have what they they have a, a tricky situation as a former GM, uh, Charlie. When you look at the situation, of course, Zeke holding out, Dak wants money, reportedly $40 million. And Amari Cooper wants his money. How do you play this? Uh, put put us put us in the GM shoes here. Well, I, I think in what the Cowboys have done, I would have done the same thing. Uh, they've given them all really good offers. Uh, Amari Cooper, uh, somewhere I, my guess is somewhere to seventeen to eighteen million, uh, because they say he's in the top five. So uh, I think they did the right thing there. Now he has one year to go on his contract. So if he's not signed and you have the free agent tag, you can 
the franchise take the franchise of next year. My gut is that thing gets done. Um, on Dak, uh, I think they've offered him, according to you know, reports that I've uh, been able to verify, uh, over $30 million. Now, we'll come back to him in a second. Now, Zeke, they offered him number two money. Number two money uh, can be anywhere from between 13 to $14 million. Now, you have to understand the Cowboys. They've never lost the player they wanted. Jerry Jones knows how to make a deal. But if nobody's going to negotiate with you and you're at a standstill because nobody's doing anything, you're only going to go so far. And you're going to have some room at the end. And remember now, the general manager there has the backing of the owner. That's crucial because Jerry's the general manager. So he doesn't have to answer to anybody in this thing. That's kind of a unique situation. So I don't see why the Zeke thing doesn't get done at some point. What I was told is he did not have an intention of reporting to training camp. The old save your body trick here. He loses Mm. the accredited season because he comes in after August 5th or 6th or whatever that date is. Well, that is important in the big picture is if he does that next year, he's not a free agent. Okay, He'll only have three credit years. So this is kind of the one shot to sit out. Uh, but, again, I, I think there's, they're close there. To me, that deal has to get done. Now, hmm. Dak, here, here's the unique thing about him. All the quarterback numbers and all the big-time players uh, who are up, the threat of the franchise tag causes them to get a, a contract, not their ability. Cousins didn't get $28 million a year uh, because of his ability. He got it because he became a free agent, but the franchise numbers kept forcing him up. So here's Zach. Zach. Team told me estimated $29 million if they franchise him next year. If he doesn't do an extension, then it becomes about $35 million. If he gets to the third year, it becomes $51 million. So the agent says for three franchise tags, that's $38 million a year. This is all theory now, okay? But this is what happens, see? The team will look at two years, 29 and 35, for a $32 million average. Most deals come in somewhere around that two-year average, maybe a little bit more. Now, is this guy worth $30 million? Not in my opinion, he isn't. Mm. You put him out there in the open market, he's not a $30 million quarterback. But the franchise tag forces you into either signing this guy or finding an alternate. They don't have an alternate. The agency he's working for has a history of saying, let's go play those franchise tags out. What's got to happen here is Dak's got to come in and say to the agent, I want to get this deal done. I want to be a Cowboys. Guess what? 30 plus million dollars is enough. Uh, and I, I think that's kind of what's going to happen. That's mm. my bet. So going back into Cowboys did the right thing. Aggressive offers, room to work. Very good, Charlie. I mean, if you had to lose one of these guys, Wes, I mean, is it is it is it conceivable to have all these three these guys under big contracts? Is it smart business wise? I mean, well, here's your model. See, the, the Colts were the first one to do this. They had the highest paid quarterback in football uh, anytime he did a contract. Okay, then you had Marvin Harrison, Dwight Freeney. Okay, and all of them were big time contracts. Okay, Edgren James, he was on a rookie contract. He was the fourth guy. It was 40% of their cap. They were able to win consistently and compete for the championship every year. Patriots didn't exist with Belichick. They would have won a bunch of more championships. So the formula is there with a certain percentage of your cap allotted to your top players. Now, what has to happen here, though, is the offense has to be dynamic. Got Demarcus Lawrence fitting in there. Okay, so he's going he's already paid for one pass rusher. Remember, the Colts had Freeney, okay, and they had Mathis. So they had a second pass rusher. 
So what you have to do is decide you're going to win on offense, rush the passer, and draft well for everybody else, and you won't keep everybody else. Maybe you keep a couple more, because the Colts did keep Mm. a couple more good players. Have we reached a point where every franchise quarterback expects to become the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL when his contract is up? What happened to guys like, let's say, Andy Dalton or even (laughs) Kaepernick, you know, five years ago, or Alex Smith? Like, there was a second tier, which I believe Dak falls under as a player. What happened to that tier? Is it non-existent anymore? You know, it it has uh, eliminated itself, and I don't know if it comes back. Uh, I guess we'll find out if it comes back because you got uh, Mar- Marcus Mariota, you got Jamison Winston. Hmm. Uh, th- those guys are in the position, really, of Dak. I mean, they're, they're going to be free agents. The, so the only the, the only reason I disagree with you, Charlie, is that I think if Dak actually made the free agent market, he he would get thirty five million dollars. See, that's the thing with these quarterbacks. You say they're not people aren't worth it, but if they actually got to an open market where there's multiple teams bidding, and I'm with you on on not really seeing Dak necessarily as a top 10 quarterback at all, but his numbers are great. The The Cowboys are going to pay. They kind of know they're going to pay. And if he got out there, just the fact that enough teams are missing quarterbacks, someone, someone would pay him the money. You're, as much, you're worth as much as you're going to get. And I do wonder what the, the next CBA, like that hanging out uh, over these negotiations, what impact that has to. Well, I think on the next CBA, you're going to see a strong push by the owners to have some kind of stronger repercussions about guys under contract not showing up. I, I think that's going to mm. be high on their list. Now, so you're right. One, it only takes one team to pay Dak. Um, when you talk to teams that play the Cowboys, they, they want the ball in the hands of Dak. They don't want it in the hands of Zeke Elliott. Mm. That's the guy that beats him. All right. Okay? And, and Cooper's a good player. Uh, there's other Coopers in the league, but they were lacking one, and, and he may, he's made a difference for them. All right, Charlie. Let's stick at the category of uh, quarterbacks, and uh, you know you're you're what they call a, a real tape jockey, right? Right, Charlie. You're, you're a guy you, you chew up that tape. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I like it. I'm no one's ever said that. that nickname. But we'll go ahead. We're See, anyway, but you've been watching these rookie quarterbacks, and I, I'm sure you have some real takes on. We talked about earlier during our news segment. Uh, about Dwayne Haskins and how the Redskins quarterback situation is shaping up. Uh, what have you seen from him through two games? It's kind of a mixed bag. You see the highlights. Uh, you see some deep throws, some big-time arm throws. You see a little bit of everything positive. You see some timing throws. You see him um, make plays outside the pocket. You see him make some few reads. But then you see everything else. The biggest issue we had in two games is an accuracy, which is his footwork. His footwork and the first game was not very good at all. It was a little bit better, uh, but he doesn't tend to step uh, through on throws and, and, and uh, with his front foot. Therefore, sometimes he's coming off the front foot without a step. He's up on his toes and the ball sails. So that's one. Uh, you'll see misreads. Like last week, he took a sack when people were open. Uh, he bailed on a pocket where people were open. Uh, so it's, it's a combination of inconsistency in all phases. Now, they're giving them the entire offense. They're not trying to find something that he can work with. They're giving him everything. Checks at the line, the long verbiage, all right? And, and they're giving him a lot of play time. And I think the idea is he's not going to start the season, okay? At some point, what's going to happen, okay, Keenum will start the season. Uh, at some point, this guy probably will play. And then you've known what he, what he could do and couldn't do in preseason. Now you'll scale it back and, and, and zero in on the things he could do. For example, I think he's only had one or two RPOs 
I would think he'll get a lot of RPOs if he has to play. Um, speaking of guys that would be dynamic in an RPO situation, Kyler Murray, who's um, a lot of people are excited about Cliff Kingsbury and Murray in Arizona. Now he came back to earth a little bit in the second preseason game. Uh, definitely was unable to move the ball and had some issues uh, with the clap snap. Charlie, take us behind the scenes. <laughs> what are people saying about the clap snap? Is that a real thing to be worried about uh, for a rookie? Well, I, I have I haven't called the uh, NFL to get their version of it. I guess it, uh, it wasn't an issue when the officials came into practice. It wasn't an issue in week one. Uh, it was an issue in week two and how it was interpreted. When you read the rule sounds like it's totally an interpretation of, of, of what they see on the field. What I saw was in, in the first game was not, not – I didn't study every one, but clap, snap, clap, snap. Well, you don't think the defense gets, gets that? So uh, uh, we'll have to see how they interpret it. You don't know anything to me about this guy in two games for this reason. Number one, I don't think they're running the offense you're going to see. In week one, men – uh, every one of you could have been five out of six throwing the football. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No, I'm telling you, you could have. How about six out of six? <laughs> well, you see, he was six out of six because the guy That's true. Out of That's true. Get those that feet down. The play he made, it was outside the pocket. Now, you go to week two, still, to me, they're not running the offense that we're going to see, the one that he uh, knows. Um, you got a lot of blitzing this week. They weren't ready for the blitz. Okay, now he had two good plays versus pressure. He missed some deep throws. I thought he was affected by the rush. He was inaccurate on a bootleg. He bailed with pressure, and we had an open receiver. So, so it was not a good performance at all. But, again, I don't think there was – there's obviously no game planning, and I'm not sure this is the offense we're going to see. Let's put you on the spot then. Um, this isn't the offense we're going to see. It, is Kyler Murray, Murray more likely to do what RG3 and Kyle Shanahan did to the NFL early in the season, or – or is that team so talent deficient that they're likely to struggle coming out of the gates? It's a great question because your second half of it is the appendix to it about, uh, uh, you know, they can't stop the run. So people can play ball control and keep them on the bench. Um, and it'd be interesting because they're playing. I have the first two games of Detroit. Patricia's a good coordinator. And then you go to Baltimore. Martindale's a good coordinator. We're not talking about talent. Now we're talking about coordinator because you're going to have to come out and defend something that you're really not sure what you're going to defend. Baltimore has an edge because at least they'll have some film. And uh, so that's going to be the thing there. Uh, I'm excited. I tell you, I'm more excited to watch them on opening day than any game in the league. Hey, now. Just, just to see what happens. And I, I don't have a feel how it's going to go. I really don't. Charlie, this is this is going to be – this is going to sound sick, but uh, my colleague to my right, Greg Rosenthal, for half of his life, his favorite team, the Patriots, has had Tom Brady carving yeah. up the NFL, winning rings. It's a disgrace, if you ask me, Charlie, to have that, that embarrassment of Richards. And then, we, you know, you and I are going back and forth in an email before the show, figuring out what, what we're going to be talking about. And you got all these positive notes on Jared Stidham? No, Charlie. I can't have another good <laughs> Patriots quarterback. We need a decade of stink coming from that positional room. <laughs> you know what? I'm saying, okay, why do Stidham? Well, this guy's important. You know, Brady's 42, going on 32, looks like he's 22. Okay, Yeah, that's, that's not crazy, suspicious right? at all, by the way, Charlie. <laughs> no, it's, 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 yeah, you're right. There is something. 
in a joking manner now. Nah, you could joke. I mean, the guy doesn't make top dollar, and he's 42, and he's still beating people. What? There's something here now. Anyway. That's not right. Maybe his hey, his, you know, his nickname's Joe Hardy. Look at that one up for you, okay? That, now, that's a joke now, okay? Take that <laughs> Joe Hardy, all right. Wrote it down. All right. Google that. You'll, you'll be interested in research Joe okay. Hardy. But anyway, and it's a joke sports fans, all right? So here's the thing. It's not to be taken seriously. Brady's a good man. They wouldn't do it. But here's the okay. thing. Brady doesn't have a contract for next year, which nobody's taking that seriously uh, because feel he'll be back with the Patriots. But you never know. But somehow they got to have a guy to replace this guy at some point. And Stidham's a rookie. So by the time Brady's 45, see, this guy will have some experience. But I was excited about – I didn't know what I was going to see. See, in college he had talent to throw, but the pressure killed him. This guy was not good versus pressure. I hadn't had a lot of pressure in New England. First week, a little conservative, but really played well. And I did a social post on it. He had Brady feet. Hell, Brady bounces in the pocket, and he never goes anywhere, and nobody ever touches him because he's got great sense. This guy kind of looked the same. Mm -hmm. So he's made good decisions. He's been accurate with the football. Um, So I've been impressed with the guy. Now, the guy had two interceptions that were dropped, okay, last week. So the stats are a little deceiving. But overall – Poise, accuracy, seems to understand the offense. Been a surprise to me. Stop it. Well, Greg is in here pumping his fist. Does it? This concerns me that it would be sort of a Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers type well, of stuff. Uh, but too early to tell, I'd imagine. Uh, before we let you go, Charlie, last thing. Yeah. Um, you were a member of the competition committee for eight years. Uh, yes. And this pass interference rule, which we've talked about on the show, there, there seems to be some type of internal power struggle, at least from where we're sitting, where you know the owners passed this rule after you know the trauma of the NFC title game, and now the officials, uh, the way they're officiating it so far in the preseason, there's an obvious disconnect here. Um, what, what have your takeaways been? And, and if you were still on the competition committee, uh, if knowing what you know now, uh, midway through August, would you have gotten behind this? Here's what would have happened. I was the most liberal guy on the committee. I was yes on every uh, instant replay vote. I didn't even hear the question. I voted yes, okay? <laughs> I, that's too liberal like now. The opposite of Mike Brown. <laughs> Mike and I con- Mike and I just cancel each other out every year. Mike's a class act now. I love it. Was it was like uh, Samuel you know Jackson and Bruce Willis and Unbreakable. There had to be each go. side if of the spectrum. All right. If you want to talk history in the National Football, get him on. He'll never come on, but he's a tremendous historian. And again, a tremendous person. Now, here's the thing. Um, I would have been liberal. And then I saw the tape that we saw uh, at our NFL Network Summit. And I sat there and said, and I sent a text to somebody at a high level at the NFL. I said, this is a mess. Okay. <laughs> I, it is. I would never have voted for it. The obvious one is obvious. Now, we were always told one play does not change a rule. You have to have a history of it. And as I sat there, and I remember, I, I, I know how they think. And I, I saw that, and I said, no, that's, that's it. And, and, and Alan, I couldn't agree on it, right? He's saying, no, that's the other one. Well, the way the committee works is we would sit there and vote on these things. And if we were getting 718 no, which that's what it would take to change something, then we would change it and tell the officials that are officiating, this is how you're calling it based on what we see. Now, a lot of times there was a disconnect because the officials don't want to take that advice. Here's what I see happen. Number one, I'd never have this because there's too many what-ifs in it. It's not clear, okay? I think they're going to go with the clear one, and everything else they're going to stay in line. 
and, they, and they're going to stay where it is. That's my gut on this thing. That's, the, that's what I think they've been told to do. I don't know that's going to happen. It's going to vary from crew. One last thing on it. The Redskin game last week. This is now, I'm watching it on television, like all of us would. Again, there's a call, offensive pass interference. The replay shows the receiver coming back for the ball. Okay? Nothing wrong with that. However, the flag was thrown on uh, 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 20 yards ahead of it. The TV crew doesn't know that, and there's no coverage on the TV copy to show it so they can't overturn it. So they say the call holds, and everybody on television is confused. You know, I texted the league, and the league cleared it up, but I wasn't on television. So here's something. As a coach, I see this. I think that's a penalty against my player coming back. I throw the flag. Well, guess what? It's not. It was something on there. So they lose the, the call there. Um, I, to me, there's too many ones that you can't be sure on that the official is going to see it the same way. Mm. I would never have voted for this. Mm. And I was a liberal. All right. <laughs> and I proposed it, too. Charlie, all right, Joe Hardy. Who's Joe Hardy? He's from the Hardy Boys, right? Charlie? Oh, my God. Come on, you guys. What? What? Okay. What is, uh, do we have any Yankee fans there? Yeah, some of the Yankees. From fans. damn Yankees. But I'm not familiar with that, that play. <laughs> Great play. Okay, it's from it's from Damn Yankee. <laughs> Joe Hardy's a Washington Senator fan. The Senators are in last place. The devil comes to him and says, I can give you the pennant, Joe. Sell your soul to me. He now sells his it. soul, and then Joe Hardy turns into this young guy nobody ever heard of, walks out of you know, walks out of the sticks like the you know, uh, Field of Dreams in Iowa, and all of a sudden starts hitting home mm. runs and drives the Senators all the way, and this is what I don't remember the punchline, is he's rounding third base with, I guess, the, the, the home run to put up in the World Series, and all of a sudden he turns into Joe Hardy again. Mm. Okay, the old guy sitting in the chair drinking a beer watching the game, and well, I don't know how it ends. The old devil hasn't caught up to Tom yet. Wait, so who's Joe Hardy, Jared Stidham or Tom Brady? Tom Brady. Brady. Uh, well, I hope that yeah, Brady was just Brady and uh, Stidham well, is Joe Hardy. We got another 20 years. Oh, stop it. This is a joke, okay? Tom Brady's a good <laughs> Uh, a family Christian man, I'm sure. Charlie has to say that. I don't. Okay, so you choose which side you want to believe. Charlie Casterly, you're the man. NFL Network. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, what is that Twitter handle again, Charlie? Bad host. At Charlie Casterly and Charlie uh, L-E-Y. All right, there you go. Strong Instagram game as well. Charlie gets it. Bottom line. All right, thank you, man. Thank you. Thanks. See you, Charlie. Bye-bye, Charlie. See you now. I was in the weeds there on Joe Hardy. I got I to be honest with you, but it makes a lot of sense. To me. I, there's no one. There's no one like uh, Charlie. That I mean to me, the when he said sports fans, that was my yes. favorite. My fa- <laughs> yes. Ah, you see sports fans. <laughs> he keeps certain things alive. Uh, like my my uncle Bill, who would come to family parties and and we'd be shooting uh, hoops in my driveway, uh, and he'd come out and and hit ten out of ten underhanded free throws. Like there are people like Charlie that are keeping things alive. And one of them is Joe Hardy references, saying things like sports fans, see, uh, and we love having Charlie. And but Wes, by the way, you are correct. One of the Hardy, one of the the boy sleuths, one of the Hardy boys, was Joe Hardy. Also, I'm sort not sort of the broad-shouldered one. Yeah. yeah, he was also an entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of 84 Lumber Company. <laughs> I didn't uh, know I had to go back further even than the Hardy boys. To get <laughs> Charlie's reference. Um, what, what? Finally, we found somebody on the show deeper yeah, reference you guys than you, Wes. <laughs> 
Perfect. I feel about him the same now way I felt about – Now you understand how confused we are. Dennis Miller announcing. Yes, I get your <laughs> reference. Yeah, baby, cha-cha. Uh, all right, we'll be back on Wednesday. And remember, Wednesday is yes. And we got a big fish. Uh, we got a huge fish. Reel them in. Come on in. Evan Silva is getting in the boat, formerly of Roto World, now of Established the Run, which is a hot new website and multimedia project. That is project. a concerning sound effect that mm. we've incorporated. That is a real. I get what it feel, is. I feel but like it's... you're disconnected from the. Right. And if culture. people don't no, like, no, I, like and people only know Evan through his Twitter account. I mean, he is a real big fish just physically maybe the largest man writing about football in these entire United States and arguably uh, he, he's like Nate, he's like Nate Solder mind in the game oh yeah he's like Nate he's, Solder I, I think his breadth of knowledge is up there with everyone he's got his hand in college football the draft analytics fantasy football DFS tape watching gambling so when we have our annual fantasy extravaganza we get the biggest fish in the boat. Oh, yeah. So we'll have Evan on the show Wednesday. Excited about that. So with all your drafts coming up, uh, uh, be excited. And a return, of course, to uh, Mark's Fantasy Corner, which I understand there's been some gentrification. You know, listen, I can't, I, I can't control the way neighborhoods uh, grow and evolve, yeah. but there has been some changes. All right. Well, we'll get to that, I'm sure, on Wednesday as well. All right. We That's should all raid Sully's closet for our favorite fishing shirt in advance of the show. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we miss you, Sully. All right, let's go. This is Dan Hansa signing off for Quiet Storm, the mailman, the old boss, Rick Hollywood behind the glass. Thanks again to Charlie Casserly. Can you not? What? Rick? Until <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday. I was wondering how long that would take. <laughs> 3 V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility.